What? A fire? <laughs> no. Just trying to open a package of socks. Come on in. It's sleep or don't. Sleep or don't is back. It's me, Mr. Vanilla Extract. The perfect ingredient to your pre-sleep routine. Let's kick it off. Number one, are you cutting out the caffeine? Cut it out by noon. If you can cut it out altogether, even better. Number two, start dimming your lights two hours before sleepy time. Get yourself some nice, warm lamps. Warm lamp light is the best thing to do to get you to begin to wind down. Number three, do the things you need to do tonight before you get into bed. And the things you don't need to do, agree with yourself that you don't need to do them and stop worrying about them. If you need to take a break, sit in a chair and then get back up and finish the things you need to finish. Don't get in and out of bed. Bed is for sleep. Number four, recognize that the need for the wind down is real. We start this routine at noon, cutting out the caffeine. And two hours before you're supposed to be asleep, you should be done with your stressors. No more stress inputs. No more phone calls from the President of the United States asking you for advice. If he wants to ask you for advice, he needs to ask you for advice at 6 p.m., not 8 p.m. Brush and floss as early as you can. It's a good habit. And I believe that that fresh mint flavor can be a bit of a stimulant. So the earlier you do that, the more time it has to wear off. Next step, stuff your saris in a sack. What does that mean? It means get in front of the mirror and admit to yourself what it is that is causing you pain, anxiety, sadness. Maybe it's real obvious. Write it down, fold it up, stuff it in a sack. A paper bag, a brown paper bag maybe. Put it in the pantry. You won't lose it, I guarantee it. Your sorries will find you. But tonight, just admit to yourself that whatever it is is real, but it's also time for a break. Next, get into bed. This is your nightly vacation from the day. Now it's time to find something calming to do. Read a book, watch a rerun, rub your own feet, whatever. Next, get present. Take deep breaths, listen to your voice if you need to. Listen to your heartbeat if that's something that calms you down. Crack your knuckles. Look around the room. Stare at the ceiling and see if you can see a rhinoceros in the ceiling clouds. Whatever it is, get here. 
The day is over. Tomorrow is not here yet. Live in the now. All right. Let's hang out. Today, I was thinking about a couple of things. We're in that part of the season where you start thinking about spring. Just little thoughts about spring. The longing is definitely there. (laughs) But, you know, you get to mid-February and you start to go, Hey, spring is real. It's out there. Three hours away south, there's a town that gets spring about now. The leaves should be starting to pop in the next week or two. Just on the willow trees. I heard this morning a dove, a morning dove, That's not something we hear around here in the middle of the winter time. It's a good sign of spring. The idea of spring can be better than spring sometimes. Spring is a bit of a roller coaster. I was thinking about Punxsutawney Phil. We're we're in that Punxsutawney Phil type of year. A time of year. Um, the name Punxsutawney, obviously, a na- Native American name. It's spelled funny. I always think it's punk. Is a Tony. Punxsutawney. But it's punks a tawny. Punks a tawny. I won't spell it. It's Unami, which is an Algonquin language spoken by the Lenape people in the late 17th century and the early 18th century in the southern two thirds of present day New Jersey. Southeastern Pennsylvania and northern two-thirds of Delaware. Punxsutawney, though, what does it mean? Let's see if we can find out. You want to guess? Let's guess together. Maybe we'll guess the same thing. Punxsutawney, to me, sounds like it means uh, river in knots. A river in knots. In other words, it's a very windy river. Okay, that's my guess. And we're looking, we're gathering information. And Southern Borough, I don't see it on our Wikipedia page. We're going to move to the next page. Meaning, Punxsutawney. The town of the sand flies. Ponksad Utni. There's a pronunciation guide here. The town of the sand flies. When the Germans came to America in the 1700s and settled in Pennsylvania, they brought a tradition. Oh, they brought a 
tradition of the Candlemas and introduce the tradition of an animal seeing its shadow. Okay, well, that's great. We're all a little bit tired of Punxsutawney feel. It's funny, on the Wikipedia page for Punxsutawney, there is a climate table. I love these climate tables. It's fun to compare the, the climate table for my area and other areas like Punxsutawney. So the average daily maximum temperature for the hottest month is 80.7 degrees Fahrenheit, 27.1 Celsius, and the record high is 101. So not too hot, not too hot. Phoenix is, Phoenix is laughing right now at those temperatures. The coldest month is January at 33.1 degrees on average Fahrenheit and 0.6 degrees Celsius. That's the average daily maximum in January. So summers that are quite tolerable, quite tolerable, and winters that are cold, cold. So Punxsutawney, in case you don't know, is in the western third of the state, about midway down from north to south. Lovely. And <laughs> you know you're a small town when there are five categories under your Wikipedia page. There's history, geography, demographics, government, education. Oh, there's seven, eight. Emergency services is the one I was going to laugh at. I thought that was the fifth one. Emergency services, media, and notable pe people. They have... Uh, full-time police service made up of 12 police officers. I think that's cute. That's a cute small town thing to do. Medium town. Town trying to flex its muscles a little bit. They're not just a groundhog town. Looks like the greater population is about 9,000 people. The town itself has about 6,000 people. Those are fun-sized towns. Those are fun size. I've lived in small towns, and I'm telling you, it's fun to live in a small town. They did a good job of getting the word out about the, their existence with Phil. I wonder why he's called Punxsutawney Phil. How did they come, come across that? Is it something to do with Philadelphia? Let's see. Where did Punxsutawney Phil get his name? Where did he get his name? 
still get his name. Ned Ryerson? Ned? Ned Ryerson? That's from Groundhog Day. Of course it is. He's named after King Philip. Before they called him Phil, though, they called him Brer. Brer Groundhog. Brer. Brer. B-R. Uh, apostrophe E-R. What is a Brer? Brer. Yeah, it is. It's the same. Like Brer Rabbit. Remember that? That is how they spell it. So it's brown, Brer Groundhog. And what is Brer? Brer meaning. Huh. It's just slang for brother. I didn't know that. I don't know. I wasn't a big Brer Rabbit fan back in the day, but it says it's Southern U.S. black slang slash dialect brother, usually prefixed to a name. So, Brer Rabbit, Brer Groundhog. Okay, who in the world is King Philip? I can ask that. Look, I'm not a history buff. Maybe there's more than one. King Philip. Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. How about Philip II of Spain? But why, if this is a German tradition, and if I'm not mistaken, Pennsylvania was settled by people like German and Dutch and Philip II of Spain. Let's just look it up. Why do I feel like I've, I've talked about Philip II of Spain? <laughs> Philip II, also known as Philip the Prudent. Oh, yeah. You know this guy knows how to party. Philip the Prudent. Dude, did you invite Philip the Prudent to the party? You did? Okay. I'll be there. He was the king of Portugal. Philip II of Spain, also known as Philip the Prudent, was king of Portugal and king of Naples and Sicily. He was also Jur Exorus, king of England and Ireland, from his marriage to Queen Mary I in 1554, until his death, her death. He was also Duke of Milan, and from 1555, he was Lord of the 17 provinces of the Netherlands. <laughs> well, okay, Philip was all over the place. Not only was he a party animal, I'm sorry, I don't know very much history. And by I'm, I'm sorry, I mean, like, if you're shaking your head right now, guess who his successor was? Philip III. Guess who his predecessor was? Not Philip I. It was Henry or Anthony. And that's disputed. 
Well, okay. I'm glad at the end he was lord of the 17 provinces of the Netherlands because I've heard of Pennsylvania Dutch. I haven't heard of Pennsylvania Spanish. Speaking of people who knew how to party, uh, this guy, Philip III of Spain, was king of Spain, which is very clean. He was also king of Portugal, Naples, Sicily, Sardinia, and he was the Duke of Milan. So he pretty much took after his dad. Guess who followed him? Philip IV. Thank goodness I know a few Roman numerals. He was called the Planet King, old Philip IV. I don't know why. They don't say. Ray Planeta. And who followed him? John IV. John the Restorer was the king of Portugal. Well, lots of Johns and Phils. Oh, they even have his signature. Look at that. I have no idea how this signature... There's definitely no John in this signature. Did he have another name? I don't know. Scrolling down, somehow we ended back up in Europe, thanks to Punxsutawney. So, 85 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, and, you know, Pittsburgh is one of those elusive cities I've never been to. When you, when you think about Pennsylvania, it seems like you either remember there's a Pittsburgh or you remember there's a Philadelphia, but you fit, forget that there's both of them. At least I do. They got a tall cathedral in Pittsburgh. I'm just looking at some pictures. I don't know. Pennsylvania's interesting. From what I understand is it can be a quite a dreary place, old, old Pittsburgh. Looking at the climate. Average max temperature, 83 degrees. I'm sorry, it's not listing it in Celsius. Man, what are your average max temperatures? You ever think about your average max temperatures? I remember when I was a kid, in the winter time, one of the things that I would fantasize about, and remember, I'm a plant lover. I like green. It doesn't have to be a jungle. I just like things to be green, and I like things to be warm. And I 
I confess that I would fantasize about global warming. Now, this was before global warming was a thing. At least before it was a thing in my life. I would just fantasize that I had this maybe incomplete understanding of how the world worked. And there was a city three hours south of us, I have already mentioned it, that would get spring early. And especially this time of year, I just get itching for spring. And where I grew up, I would, it couldn't be early spring, it would have to be late spring, because early spring was always in those days so windy cold wind you'd have a nice sunny morning and you'd think aha we're over the hump and then that cold wind would come blowing in oh man cut right through you so anyway i had this incomplete understanding and i wouldn't say now it's complete but the town that would get leaves in late February was about 3,000 feet in elevation lower than where I lived. And so my dark fantasy was that my entire county would sink. You know, just like settling. You hear about like the Oglala Aquifer in Kansas and Texas and how they've pulled so much water out of the ground that the ground actually has sunk. Now, I mean, maybe it's sunk eight feet in the maximum area. It's probably more like a foot and a half in reality. I know this is a thing in California too, but I didn't know that then. But we did study in geography the Oglala Aquifer, and they talked about how the ground was sinking because they had pulled so much water out of it. And... So I would just imagine, well, what if, what if the ground just sunk? What if we just had some settling? You know, I'm not, I'm 13 years old, maybe 12 and a half, 12 and three quarters, whatever. Fantasizing about, <laughs> fantasizing about, you know, the ground dropping 2,000, 2,500 feet underneath me you know <laughs> that's, not, well, that's not a big deal when you're 12 and a half you don't worry about the foundation of your house or buckling of the the masonry on your house or roads buckling or reservoirs going upside down and spilling out or all of the realistic things like giant landslides earthquakes that are 20 on the Richter scale. You just thought, you know, if we sunk 30 foot a day, you know, that for, uh, I don't know, let's do the math. We want to drop 3,000 feet. If we, th if we drop 8 foot a day, every day for a year would be at 3,000 feet in elevation, which means spring would come sooner. 
never mind that the entire county would be completely leveled, unrecognizable, inaccessible by roads, and, well, yeah, completely leveled. That did not matter to me. What mattered to me was that I got an early spring. Is that too much to ask? So I would fantasize about that, and I thought, it's, I mean, it's not impossible. I would fantasize, I, I had a vague understanding of the jet stream, and I would fantasize that it would permanently change course, and it would dip low enough and bring warm air out of the south up into my county. And then I would fantasize about that dip bringing with it wet weather and the desert that I grew up in that got seven inches of precipitation in a year would suddenly get a lot more. I didn't have a number. I couldn't put a number on it. I didn't have Google in those days. I, I couldn't. I couldn't Google a place that was green and then say, how much rain do these guys get? But all of that seemed a lot easier to believe in, to hope for, than just simply giving it six more weeks of winter and letting spring come organically because spring was bad. Spring was bad. It was too windy to fly a kite. But that windy period, which felt like an eternity, lasted a maximum of a month. And there was usually only a, a dozen days that were really ripping. It's funny how we do that. You want something to change so badly. You, you begin to hope for things that are completely unrealistic. And the thing that makes a lot more sense as an adult is just take a late, a late January or mid-February vacation. It doesn't even have to be that far away. It doesn't have to be a beach, just someplace sunny and a little bit warmer. If you can't do that, distract yourself for a couple of weeks. Oh, there's some deep metaphor for life in that story, and I'm going to leave it up to you to write an essay about that and get back to me. I gotta say one more thing about Punxsutawney, thinking about my youth and, and worried. I, I thought about the weather a lot because I just wanted it to be t-shirt weather. And you know when you're a kid and you just you just try to will it to be t-shirt weather. It'd be sunny outside and I'd be like putting on a dang t-shirt and then I'm gonna play as hard as I can, ride my bike, play basketball, whatever, as hard as I can and you know, get that body temperature up and pretend I'm warm. 
but yeah, I wanted, I wanted it to be warm all the time. And I would hear this Punxsutawney Phil thing and that, you know, did he see his shadow? Did he not see his shadow? And I would say, wait a minute. That fat rat in Pennsylvania is predicting my weather? My cousins live an hour and a half away and their weather is completely different than mine. How is that fat rat predicting my weather? And pay attention to what I'm saying here. I wasn't saying that fat rat can't predict weather. I was saying he can't predict both the weather in Pennsylvania and the weather in my town or thousands of miles apart. So I don't know, that was kind of weird, weird that I focused in on that. Everybody just get a comfortable spot and have a good night.